you know, part of the healing is the journey and the story in which you tell. And for me, communication is absolutely key. What up, people? Welcome to another episode of the Positive Self Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan, and today is a very special episode, as this is a roundtable event where I've gathered some of the most remarkable guests I've had on previous episodes to discuss mental health. Now, on the 10th of October is World Mental Health Day, and the theme of that is mental health for all. And to bring a wider awareness to mental health, as you say, I've just gathered you know, the most prestigious uh, guests I've had so they can shed some light on their challenges and battles with mental health, such as OCD or depression, and any solutions they have found in dealing with those challenges. And I'm so excited today to have you guys on, so thank you ever so much for being here. So without further ado, I'm just going to let them introduce themselves. So. Can't believe you just said prestigious guest. That's so lovely. <laughs> Otherwise known as Jenny McQuaid. I'm a vicar at St Paul's in Letchworth with All Saints in William. Thank you. Uh, Trish? Oh, I am Trisha Fraley. I am all the way over in the South Georgia and the United States, and I am a podcast host of Out of the Fire, and happy to be here. Thank you. Deanna, we can't hear you. That's you playing with Skype, that's the problem. So you clicked and you clicked and you messed up. <laughs> nope, just let them go. We'll get you back in, no, it's fine. And this is one of the things I was talking about, you know, technical glitches, and this is where it goes. This is where it happens. Uh, yeah, no big deal. <laughs> there, at, at the bottom, have you muted yourself, Deanna? There's a big button. Yes. There, try it now. No, you're gone. We haven't got you. Do you want to try coming out of the call? Take your headphones out. Try taking your headphones out. Yeah. You can hear us. Try taking the headphones out. Oh, she's gone. There we go. That's fine. She'll come back in. I'll get her back in. Uh, so, yeah, so the, the theme of this, uh, the World Mental Health Day is mental health for all. So what I wanted to try and ask you guys was, how has mental health affected you and what solutions have you found uh, to progress in your journey? Now, I know we've had this conversation before on past podcasts, on past episodes, but this is a platform where we can share experiences and just have a chat and have a talk and then hopefully someone will listen and resonate through that. So, yeah, who would like to go first? I don't mind. I'll, I'll dive in. Yeah, um, okay. So I've had I've had two significant periods of poor mental health. Um, and I think it's kind of I know it's a cliche, but I think it's worth saying that we all have mental health and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. Um, and I think it's really, really important to to make that clear. But I've had two particularly poor periods in my life. Um, and the, the first but they came about for really different reasons. And therefore, how I was able to come out of that time needed to have um, needs to be looked at in a, in a really different way. So the first time was a period of really profound depression um, with suicidal thoughts and tendencies because of the place I found myself in, the circumstances that I was in at the time, some of which were brought on by myself, by my awful decisions that I, I made in abundance, um, and by some, some people who had a really negative impact on me, and I allowed them to have that negative impact. So the solution for me in that time um, 
was getting to the root cause of how I had allowed those things to happen in the first place and why I had made the decisions that I had made. So for that period, it was a lot of counselling and um, some what they call inner child work. And it was really, really painful, but so liberating because I was able to work out where that stuff had come from and then to walk out of it towards freedom. Uh, but the second bout of poor mental health I had, it was a really different uh, circumstance. I'd had my son and actually my circumstances in life couldn't have been better. I was very, very happily married. Um, loved my job, loved my life. Everything was great. And and after Will was born, um, I had a really nasty case of postnatal depression. Now, fortunately, I had a fabulous doctor um, and it was my husband that picked it out firstly, actually. And I just needed uh, some medication to get me through that time. And actually, there was no underlying cause. There was no deeper route to it. But for that short period of time, I needed some some really good diagnosis, which I was very, very fortunate to be able to have and support with the correct medication for a period of time until my body was able to sort itself out and then very, very, very slowly weaned off um those drugs and and have been really lucky or blessed that that I've not needed to take those again since but I wouldn't hesitate to if the same circumstance came up again we're not having any more children if I ever felt depressed again <laughs> I would go straight to the doctor and that would be fine so those two very different situations required very different approaches um, and all of that is obviously underpinned by my faith and, and uh, my relationship with God has pulled me through that. But those very different circumstances uh, needed different support. Do you, do you find then, you know, because I also suffered with postnatal depression. Yeah, I remember you saying. Yeah, you know, when, uh, when my daughter was born. And a part of that, somewhat then, me and my wife talk about having a second kid, mm. but I'm afraid slightly. Mm-hmm that I might then go suffer with mental health again. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if anybody else has, you know, ever heard of that or experienced that or come across that, you know, with people and friends and family. But that's a big worry, actually, of mine, you know, in my life, really, of battling mental health and posing a depression. So. Mm. It's, it may be, um, sorry, I don't want to monopolise, but it's also October is, is Baby Loss Awareness Month. Um, and Finn and I lost our first baby, not late on in the pregnancy or anything, but it was one of the most um, excruciating griefs I think I will probably ever experience in my life. And when we then got pregnant with Lorna, my daughter, I was, uh, forgive the term, but I really was an absolute basket case for my entire pregnancy mm-hmm. because my anxiety was sky high. I wasn't just counting the weeks. I was counting the days and the hours until she was safely here. Um, and I, with hindsight, I do wish I had been more open about how I was feeling at that time because I was just on this kind of survival mode. And I, I'm sure, you know, we all know actually that that vulnerability and, and ability to talk about how we're feeling is the absolute first port of call for for being able to deal with where we're at. Because the more we talk about it, the more we realise how many of us are experiencing something really quite similar. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Very true. Is anybody like to jump in and uh, well, take any I'll, part on that? My sister, actually, she was very, very postpartum depression. She struggled her first child, and she she has a lot of anxiety from time to time. And so she got pregnant, and that was her biggest fear was, am I going to do this again? You know, is this going to happen? Her husband got a job where he's going to travel more, and she was like, what am I going to do? 
And um, she just, I will say, just her son is probably almost seven weeks old now. And she, because she was aware that that might be how she felt, she took the steps through her pregnancy to combat it. She's like, I'm going to eat well. I'm going to reach out whenever I'm feeling some kind of way, when I need a break. I think it was acknowledging the triggers mm-hmm. that made that took her down that path. And um, I will say she ended up... Um, she's doing way better than she did the first time. And I, and I don't know if that comes with experience or if it came with intentionality and being open, like you said, being vulnerable. I think the first time you, you pretend like you have it all together and then you don't really have it all together because all of that, but that was one of her biggest things was opening up to us, allowing us to, when she's like, I need a minute, letting us watch her oldest daughter, letting her take care of her son and, and kind of adapting to that so that she knew what triggered her. And then she knew how to, respond accordingly um to combat it as much as she could so i don't know if it's experience but she's doing much better but i think that vulnerability was really key in her healing on the second time around yeah yeah to be vulnerable i mm-hmm. think that's a, that's a big thing in mental health actually mm-hmm. to to really be as we talked about earlier on is just to be raw and to be open but to be just strip it all bare mm-hmm. and to say that yes i have a problem and yes you know, I'm not getting my shit together and I can't do, I can't continue by myself. I can't do this by myself. A lot of people, there's a, there's a huge stigma around mental health, as we all know, you know, and that's just one of the things just to be vulnerable in it. And, quit, you know, going back to postnatal depression, for me, it's the thought of having the thoughts that I had. Yeah, that's that's the biggest concern for me. It's not not it's not. I have a thought. It's the the thought of, oh wait, am I going to ha- have these again? And mm-hmm. that there is enough to scare me. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's ironic, isn't it? That vulnerability is actually the bravest and the strongest thing we can do, mm-hmm. and it, and it's the most powerful because it it kind of unlocks other people mm-hmm. in a way that you can't when you're putting a face on. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Diana, is your mic working? Hopefully, oh, we had it then a little bit. Yeah, say something again. Yeah, I'm here. There you go. Yeah, we got you. We got you. We got you. Yeah, I love this conversation. Um, what? I don't know. For me, I never actually. I I never thought about this in 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 this way. To be really intentional and to reflect back, what was that? That can I pin pin the the moment where I really felt unwell. And I remember there was after my first kid, um, I had a moment where I was doing everything, taking control of everything, being a superwoman. And I, I woke up one day so tired and I just said, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I had this image of my mom who was like a nurse and she was a perfectionist, huge perfectionist, like everything needed to be neat and tidy. And I had this image of a perfect mom and, and wife. And I always thought I need to be like that. But also when I reflected back and, and you, Ryan, when you invited us, I was thinking like, what? how did my mom survive? And I remember because my mom was constantly depressed but she was taking the meds. She was constantly depressed, so stressed. And what helped me to, to actually overcome that stress that I need to have in everything in control and everything needs to be perfect. I think it was the moment of awareness. You know, it doesn't need to be. It has, 
it's it just life. We are, you, we have little tiny humans that are here. House doesn't need to be perfect. Life is, you know, how it is. And I think that that was the moment also when I created this uh, a little mantra for myself. Does it matter? If it's matter, what can I do now? If there is something that I can do right now, okay, let me deal with this. If it doesn't matter, just like, you know, do something that's going to release that stress, that's going to, you know, just five minutes, be unwell, lock yourself in a bathroom if you need to do that, <laughs> and then just get over it. If it doesn't matter, like really, give yourself a five minute and girl, get out of it. And that was literally like, and it's a, I think it's a skill that you need to train, you know, to be aware, okay, what is that moment when I feel unwell that I need to have everything under control where I would, you know, I have to scream on my kids, what it is that is actually going on? Does that actually matter? If it's not like five minutes, then just go out of funk. That, I hope that makes sense. No, perfect sense. Because, you know, one of the things I've learned on my journey, and I've said it before a lot of times, it's that 90-10 rule. And I've said it before too, but 90% of life, 10% uh, of life happens to you, and 90% of life is how you react to the 10%. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, I live my life all the time. Like today, my daughter was doing something in the bath. There are prime examples in the bath. And she's just screaming, there's water in my face, there's water in my face. I'm like, you're in the bath, you're supposed to have water in your face. It's like, you know, I mean, you're supposed to get wet. And I think, what happens when you go to the pool and you go cannonball and you jump in and poof, splash everywhere? So it happens. And then she's screaming and screaming. I'm like, okay, I could do two, one or two things here. I can either just erupt or I could say, this has happened. How do I deal with it? Mm. You know? Mm -hmm. But that again, but Deanna, I think you make a good point. It's having that self awareness. And that's a skill mm. in which I think you have to learn and go through something to learn that skill. Yeah. Yeah, I even had like, I remember, I had like little markers, you know. <laughs> I had a little, mark, you know, dots on my own. Okay, if something happens, I need to check the, that dot and I'm like, okay, yeah. let me just be in control of myself, my emotions, how do I feel? Okay, let, I, I have it, I have it. <laughs> yeah. So that was literally like having those little reminders uh, that helped me to get out of the funk. So I, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's awareness again yeah another strategy i saw was uh you know you set an alarm three times in your, in your phone you know you do it like once in the morning once in the afternoon once in the evening and when that alarm goes off it's a, a, a signal to you know love yourself believe in something and awareness you know and then you forget about it you might be going through the roughest time in the day and then ding ding ding, ding your alarm goes off and you think oh yeah you know mm. i am worthy that i am aware you mm. know so again it's just finding a strategy and finding a method that helps you to mm learn that skill of awareness. I think it, breaking off the guilt and the shame is really, really important as well. I remember when I, with my first bout of mental health issues, I kind of, I was, sounds strange to say, but I didn't feel as much guilt because actually life was pretty rough. So it made sense that I didn't want to live. Life was awful at that point. Mm -hmm. But then uh, when I had postnatal depression, I felt like I didn't have an excuse. I felt like I was trying to justify in my head and I couldn't because my life was really good. And I spoke to a really wise friend who's battled with mental health issues her whole life. And she just said, depression is no respecter of persons. It will hit someone irrespective of their circumstances. And that was so liberating because I suddenly didn't feel guilty on top of feeling depressed. I felt <laughs> shame that, you know, what right did I have to feel so 
awful when I was so blessed and so fortunate in life and actually to realize no this is a chemical imbalance in my brain this particular instance was a chemical imbalance that could and would be redressed and wouldn't be with me forever was incredibly liberating because it, it put the problem back on the problem and took it off me um, and it was just this like this massive burden of shame that I'd been feeling and just that revelation that actually you know this this particular time was an illness that would pass and was not my fault was so I kind of been victim blaming myself somehow like we, we're so hard on ourselves aren't we and actually there was no there was no need in that instance plenty of other instances but not in that one <laughs> yeah not at all not at all you know depression is you know one of the major factors in mental health mm -hmm. anxiety mm -hmm. OC, ocd mm -hmm. um eating disorder you know how i was it called um i can't get my word out um uh, what's it called comfort eating mm -hmm. you know <laughs> another one so I was talking to my wife today. Sorry, I got a cough. Sorry, guys. <clears throat> um, I was talking to my wife today, and between the both of us, we've probably gone through the majority of mental health cases. Mm -hmm. You know, it's crazy. Like, my wife would don't mind me saying this, but um, when she's, she suffers with fibromyalgia and she's epileptic, <clears throat> so every day's a struggle for her. You know, she's got this constant uh, beast on her back that's sort of just, like, clouding her and she's in pain and so on and so forth and then on top of that then that she then can't um her job's in jeopardy and she doesn't and with that then she she has this um this overarching um what's the word i'm looking for this uh this example of what a mother should be all right so she thinks that she should be this particular way and because she can't be this way due to her illness a physical illness then a mental health suffers but that's manager and expectation so you know as all mothers sure you know do you have an expectation about what that you know what a mother should be and do, have you ever battled that if you can't make that reach that expectation and how has that affected you yeah for sure i think for me that was a huge one um, and i think it came from again from my mother's image um, but when I see that, like, it, she did her best, but that doesn't mean that that needs to be my best. Um, I have my own best, and it, we live in different, different day and day and age. Like, it's different, completely different. I have an ADHD kid who is very emotional. Who she bless her, she drives me crazy, <laughs> but you know, she triggers me. Then I need to be the one who calms her down. Yeah. I need to be the one who, who deals with that. So being a perfect parent, that's just an illusion. That was my image. I needed to be a perfect parent. Yeah. Um, so once I, I got rid of that perfection, what, what's even perfect? I'm just well, yeah. good enough. I'm yeah. just good enough parent. I'm doing my best and that's okay. It doesn't, ex it doesn't exist, right? You know? Yeah. I heard something recently that perfection is actually... Um, the lower standard you can have because it's not achievable. It was like we were at this summit this weekend, and they said that's really it's nobody can be perfect. There's nobody perfect. So to say I'm a perfectionist is really not setting the bar very high because you can't ever get it. You're never going to achieve it. And that's I was good. like, dang, that just kind of like blew my mind because um, 
it looks different for everybody. And what my best version of a mother looks like might be different than anybody else. And I think me, um, with my husband in the military and he's gone, my, what I expect from myself as a mother when he's gone is different than when he's home. I become the one who's got to teach him how to catch fish and play because I want him to be boys. And then when he's home, I get to be the mama who cuddles. And, but I always want to make sure they know how much I love them. But I too had a mom who was busy. She worked three jobs and she did all these things. So I'm very intentional about how am I showing up? How are they feeling? And when they start to act some way, I'm like, is it something that I did? And so we, I think we hold ourselves to a standard, but we have to hold our, let ourselves off the hook every now and then that, you know, grace that we show ourselves that doing the best we can here. And at the end of the day, if they feel loved and happy, then, um, the comparison game too, we got it. That's something that's, I think steals a lot of people from any ability is because they compare. Like when you get into a state of depression or you feel some kind of way, when you look around and Lord, social media has not helped that because you look at their beautiful life and then you're scrolling and you're like, Oh my God, but their meal looks so put together. And I didn't <laughs> do that. My crap, we're not good enough. And I think it's easy for us to fall into a place where we beat ourselves up, especially high achievers or people that are performing. We hold ourselves to a standard that is silly sometimes. And I think we need to back off some and realize that there's some showing up authentic and being vulnerable allows other to other people to do the same. And I think that's kind of each of us to show up that way. It's our responsibility to start setting the tone because people don't do that anymore. I've noticed. <laughs> yeah. So true. Yeah. So true to your, yeah. To your point there, Trish, social media is, and I, I like it. I kind of need it, but I don't mm-hmm. love it for the fact that, you know, where you say about this whole um, imposter, you know, you think, Oh, look at their life, look at their life. And then you th- reflect on yours and it isn't as good well, what do you mean isn't as good? Well, that doesn't mean nothing. That doesn't mean anything at all. But mm-hmm. people then get obsessed with, I want this, I want that, becomes materialistic. And one thing leads to another. You can't achieve expectations of the window, you know, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I actually think one of the most damaging things we can do to our kids is be perfectionist. Because yeah. then what are we teaching them? What are we teaching yeah. them? not okay to make mistakes Mm. that it's not okay to to fail sometimes that it's not okay to get things wrong that is so damaging for a child to grow up with they Mm. actually need to see us getting things wrong and observe how we cope with that Mm. and then actually we get up and we dust off and we say wow that was hard wasn't it we're going to be okay though let's keep going you know that process of learning is so important for them otherwise we're just breeding more Mm. mental health issues in our kids Mm. it's a really frightening cycle well, that actually leads me on to a good point. Before I get into that point, uh, Derek's joined us. Hey, Derek. Hey, hey how you going, guys? Hi, Derek. Hi, Derek. How are you What's doing? Up, are you, how are you uh, doing today? All good? Oh, uh, yeah, man. My apologies for being late. My apologies for being late. No need to apologize. Thank you for being on here. It doesn't matter if you're 10 minutes late, hour late. Just happy to have you on here. You know? Yes, sir. Um, so we, we've just been talking about Mental Health Awareness Day and the theme is Mental Health for All. We had a quick discussion about uh, postnatal depression, about parenthood, and how we you know our expectations had been managed. But then Jane just mentioned something about kids. So one of the points I want to talk to, again, in, you know, in this uh, itinerary of things to talk about today, was mental health in schools. So one of the things uh, that I do is because uh, I'm a lecturer, I'm a university lecturer. I try and motivate my students at that higher level. So. 
it kind of rubs off on my kid. You know, she's only four, but I got to manage that too. You know, I got to manage, okay, these are 18, 19, 20, and so on and so forth, and my kid's only four. So I got to teach them different, you know, things. But, you know, I tell them that if you want something in life, you got to go and get it, regardless of your circumstances. And I know we've all, some of us have had a really crap upbringing. Some of us had a really good upbringing. But again, our life has gone in a journey that's led us to this place right now. But in schools, you know, what do you think can be done in schools? You know, do you think there's ha- things happening in your schools? Did you have anything in, in when you were in school or in high school education? And just to bring Derek into this conversation, I'll go to him first. Mm-hmm. Well, what you're talking about is very important. Um, we have something in the States called social emotional learning, basically where they focus on helping young people deal and manage their emotions, manage their thoughts and feelings that they are having, learning how to better respond to the things going on around them. Me personally, prior to me launching my coaching business, that's what I was doing. I was going around to high schools. I was going around to juvenile facilities and I was speaking to the youth about how to better manage the stresses that come in life, how to better manage their thoughts, how to better manage their feelings, how to process through unresolved traumatic issues, how to better respond to the the you know overwhelming you know experiences that they've been through so it's a big push for that right now there's a lot of people that come in and speak in schools about that type of stuff i I think it's very critical i think it's important for for you know young people to know that you know there are better ways to manage themselves or better ways to deal with their emotions that it is, it is possible to be able to deal with the future. Cause you know, a lot of our young people are coming from tough circumstances and tough situations and they're only seeing despair. They're only seeing poverty, they're only seeing desperation in their community. So they're thinking like, okay, if I want to be something, if I want to be successful, it either has to be selling drugs or it has to be through athletics, through sports or something like that. Because when I was coming out, that was all I see. You know, mm-hmm. and that's why my big push was athletics. But it's important for people to understand that no matter what you've been through, no matter what you're currently going through, that that's not all there is. There are other options out there for you. And regardless how tough things are, what it really comes down to is how we respond. So I think it's important to teach our young people how to respond. Mm-hmm. We're never going to be free from overwhelming thoughts or overwhelming feelings. We're never going to be free from traumatic events, traumatic, that's a fact of life. It's an ugly fact of life, but we're always going to be dealing with something regardless of how big or how small. So I tell, I used to tell kids all the time, you know, life is 10% what happens to you, 90% how you handle it. Now, one of my favorite quotes by Jim Rohn, and I ask him, what would you we rather have? <laughs> yeah, what would you rather have, $10,000 or $90,000? And like, I want the 90000 right. So I want you to understand that it's not so much what happens to you, it's about how we respond. So by teaching young people how to manage their emotions, how to deal with overwhelming stress, you know, how to deal with overwhelming thoughts and feelings, we are giving them a leg up. And it has to start in the schools. It has to start in elementary all the way up. So, you know, I think that's important, brother. That's a great topic right there, a great question. Yeah. Anybody else want to jump in on that? Well, I'll have to say, I just got word um, today, a good friend of ours from across the state where I used to live, um, there was a 15-year-old at school that committed suicide yesterday. Oh. And I, my heart is in a place, um, because that was part of the reason that the podcast, I had started mine because it's this the same mentality that you just said, Derek, was life, there's always going to be something. I mean, we I grew up, we didn't have money. My parents were getting divorced. I was having to do one thing after the other. And everybody had this quote unquote, beautiful life and all their moms volunteered and all their friends were so perfect. And I was like, 
no. And I looked around and was like, I got to figure it out. And so I developed, which was different. I think it was different from other people was the desire to run from that. I didn't, I grew up with people that were alcoholics or drug addicts and they, you know, all of this, I saw them on medication or I saw them unhappy and depressed all the time. And I was like, I don't, I didn't, I knew I did not want that feeling. I was like, what do I need to do? And I, I, I went on this pursuit of what, what do I need to change? And it starts with your mind up here, believing that it's possible and, and finding this community that can empower me to different because I didn't see anything else. But when I think about these kids right now, they're not taught how to adapt. Like unco- being uncomfortable is not okay. Being waiting for something is not okay. Your pain is not, and how, and they mask it and they cover it up because it's not social media worthy and they're boiling over and nobody notices. And I, I feel like somebody needs to notice there needs to be something where they have a freedom to um, speak about what's bothering them. Because I think like we've mentioned before, talking about what's hurting us and having a community where you can be vulnerable and people that say, Oh my gosh, I feel this too makes you instantly go, okay, I'm not crazy. Because when you feel crazy and you're isolated, isolation does absolutely nothing for you at any point in the game. Like with me, I know if I have moments where I'm worried about my husband, he's gone and I'm overwhelmed with the kids and I'm like, I don't want to get out of bed. There were days I'm like, I'm not getting out of bed today. And then I was like, no, what am I going to do? I'm going to call my friend. I'm like, we're going to have coffee and I'm going to find somebody that I cannot. Cause I saw as evidence, the minute we, we, everybody withdrew, that's where the damage started. So I just became aware. And so I see this in this, this pattern in these young generation, they don't know what to believe or what to see or how to cope. They don't know who to talk to. And they're doing, I'm just sick at the suicide rates that are increasing. And I, I, something for sure has to be done. Um, whatever yeah. that's like empowering people. I mean, mentors, co- I don't care if it's coaches, new training. Um, there needs to be a class that teaches you how that's like, you know, Tony Robbins, Jim Rohn, whoever we need to, somebody needs to say, look, let's, how do we cope with pain? Let's come up with your system and this is your thing and this will be your life moving forward because it's just, it's terrible. It breaks my heart into a million pieces. What about you, Diana? Yeah, I, I think that what, what really, so I grew up in Slovenia to Bosnian parents who had like different image of how school should be done. I was high achiever. I always wanted to have good grades. I had good grades um, and Slovenian system is very rigorous and I came to Sweden. I moved seven years ago and it's completely different school system and we are so blessed that we send our um, 13 year old daughter now to private school where she has a coach. She has access to coach and I was blown away. We just had a uh, parenting parenting meeting last week and they have a mindfulness course which is really amazing eight week mindfulness course like guys this is like high level and they are they are meditating they are doing breathing techniques like it's so so crazy and for these kids that are mind you like sweden has this traditional school system is you're in the box they put you you know a tag you you know and it's pretty pretty like you know if you don't know something you have to learn and in private school, here's like, okay, are you good at something? So let's just strengthen that skill instead of working on your weaknesses. And that's like just, oh my God, this is so, so good. I think these kids today, they have a, an access to information and they are so skilled. They are, they are so skilled. I think it's just such a sh- shame that 
we are agonizing them with focusing on what they don't want to do instead of like really focusing on what they are good at. Um, and we are so blessed here overall, like we are the crazy ones here in Sweden. We don't suffer, like, you know, we don't have any lockdowns. Kids are, that's also something that it's probably um, really affecting our, our kids being in a lockdown, not having this social contact. Our kids here in Sweden, they are, we are living pretty much normal life. And I think when this happened in March, when Corona hit us, I said, I'm so blessed and so grateful to live in this country that that, our kids still have like access to each other, which is the most important thing. Going back to that social media, my, my 13 year old, she is literally one of these kids that I don't want to take photos, but I spend like 12 hours on social media, but Mm -hmm. social media doesn't see me because I'm not perfect. That that's, that's her image. And it's really working on her self-esteem and those mindfulness courses and everything that, you know, having so, social contact with real human, uh, that helps her in this, you know, very raw period of her life. So I think that more, more, more coaches, more mindfulness into schools, definitely. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. No. Tony Robbins, if he could came to all our school. Of course, yeah. I, you know, Trish and Diana, what you're saying is, is right what I'm thinking. You know, that I think you should take out math, personally. Take out math, <laughs> put in mindfulness. Jenny, you know, being a reverend and working uh, in the church, what do you see with a lot of young people coming up? I think what really concerns me is a problem that none of us had to deal with when we were in school. And God knows that was tough enough, you know, but the kids are it, it's the social media terrifies me and I'm on it. I'm, I use it. It's one of my biggest tools for work, but it terrifies me for the kids. What uh, another element to that that bothers me, though, is the level of connectedness and information that they are receiving constantly. We're not actually built to be that connected. The human brain <laughs> is not built to cope with this level of stimulus all day long, it is really, really intense. Um, And one of the things that I think it might be in the States as well, actually, but in the UK in the last five to 10 years has seen a real surge in um, what they call prayer spaces in schools. And it's just a really small space that is a very deliberately chilled out atmosphere. There's no technology, there's no contact. And you go in and for some kids, faith background or not, they're going in just to desensitize, just to kind of put down the intensity and to breathe and it's that teaching resilience it's that space to kind of you know just take a breath step off the treadmill for a minute come back to yourself and then you can go out a little bit stronger than you had before and that has proven to be incredibly successful I mean we've had a few instances in our town in the last year where both um, a teacher and a pupil uh, committed suicide um, and there's a local charity called FaZe that go in, it's Christian charity, and they go in just to support the students and the staff. Um, and the the level, both adult and child, of inability to deal with what had happened because there isn't space to process. It's constantly onto the next thing, onto the next thing, onto the next thing. And it's so unhealthy. We're not wired that way. We're not built to do it. There has to be space to process. And that might be, like you say, with a mentor, it might be with a counsellor. But there has to be time and space to process because then you can once you've done that, you can really move on to the next thing in your life. But if you don't do that, you carry it with you. And we're not built to do that. I have to make my kids do that. I have to make them 
do you, I mean, we're thankful we bought some land and we ha have a place where I'm like, go out to nature, go out wander. Yeah, yeah, but they almost, there's a transition period where I can tell they need to be entertained. They're like, wait, 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 they need. And I'm like, go find something to do. And the thought of them not being given the exact task on how to respond or a stimulus or something to just create or dig or play, whatever it is, it almost like terrifies them a little bit because they need to respond to something. And I, I realized that's just the way that this generation is being raised. I mean, they start computer work at, I mean, my son is seven and they started, they have a Chromebook that they work on in the first grade. And I'm like, we, that was way far down the line, way far down the line for us. And I'm thinking how terrible. So I have to make them and it's hard some days and they're young boys. They should want to go play in the dirt, but it's like, wait, what do I do? Where do I go? What do I need? And, and yeah. uh, you're, I think you're spot on with that. The human I brain think, is only able to cope with up to 150 meaningful relationships. And because of social media and the number of friends we have, inverted commas for those listening to the podcast, and contacts and the level of connectedness we have, it is entire sensory stimulus overload. We are not built. Evolution has not caught up with technology. We are not built to cope with that level of connectedness. It's not good for us. And yet that's the pressure that we're under every day. And our kids yeah. want us so much more than we ever were. Oh, so much more. I mean, again, you know, you talk about statistics and what, you know, how much we can take in. I think we take in something like 2 billion bits of sensory activity. Crazy. Like every sort of second or something. And then we do one of three things. We either uh, distort, delete, or generalize information. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and the amount of information that's coming to us I don't know what to do with it. Whether do I delete it? Do I distort it? Or do I generalize it? And you know, I'm, you know, 37, 37 old adult who hopefully has got his shit together. <clears throat> You've got kids of all ages having all this information come just thrown at them, and what are they supposed to do with it all? And they wonder, and you wonder why we're in a state of, you know, a pandemic, really. You know, mm -hmm. where mental health is on the rise all the time. All the time. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to um, go back to this, um, it was really funny, uh, my kids would sometimes say, uh, I'm bored, and I say like, good, that's good, be bored, <laughs> like go out and find Absolutely. something, you know, be, be creative, like what's happening with this world, uh, did we forgot to play with like, I don't know, made up the dolls or whatever, you know, um, and it's literally like, I love when, my seven-year-old, she would say, you know, I'm bored. I need to have iPad. No, <laughs> you need to go out and find some, you know, stones, throw them somewhere, you know, be, be, a, be a kid, for yeah. God's sake, you know. Yeah, um, def definitely. You know, so touching upon, I think we mentioned, you know, today in society, you know, I, I suppose we have to touch upon it was COVID. And I know it's, you know, it's current, it's big in our world. I'm just going to read something quickly from um, WHO, which is the World Health Organization. For those of you who haven't heard of it, who are listening in. You know, mental health is one of the most neglected areas of public health. Close to one billion people are living with mental health disorder. Three million people die every year from the harmful use of alcohol. And one person dies every 40 seconds by suicide. Mm. Like those statistics are just bonkers. You know, mm -hmm. And now, billions of people around the world have been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic, which is having a further impact on our mental health. Mm -hmm. And just to touch upon that even further, uh, countries worldwide, uh, as countries reported worldwide uh, widespread distribution, 
So this is a report. Over 60% reported a disruption of mental health services for vulnerable people, including children and adolescents, at 72%. Older adults of 70%. And women required antenatal or postnatal services of 61%. So due to the COVID pandemic, there's been a massive disruption of people who are generally going to counselling, receiving medication, doing the normal things that they were doing, and then COVID hit, and then we can't do this anymore. So to all of you, what do you think can be done? I know this is a massive question, but in, you know, within your circle, within your bubble, within your world, what have you seen or what do you think could be done to bring even greater and further awareness of mental health, you know, OCD, depression, anxiety, eating disorder, bipolar, so on and so forth. This is a, this is a massive, this is a massive topic, you know? Yeah. I think this is the first step that you're doing right now. You know? Yeah. yeah. Having this conversation and, you know, this, this is the first step. Yeah. Somebody, somebody touched on something earlier about the importance of expressing where you are, the importance of talking about what you're going through. Um, you know, I speak all the time that we're not in silos. Like, you're not the only one dealing with this. But when you want to keep it to yourself or you want to be secretive about it, that is what keeps from breeding the despair and the desperation that you're in. You're not the only one going through this. You're not, you know, you're having a natural response to an unnatural situation. So you don't have to feel bad or carry this guilt and shame like something's wrong with you because you're struggling during all this. Like, we have to do better at opening up and expressing where we're at. And, you know, being that I primarily work with men, I have to tell men all the time, we need to get out of that river in Egypt called denial. We have to stop denying, you know, what's going on with this. It's okay. Like, you're allowed to feel what you feel. Like, you're not wrong for what you feel. Feel your feelings. Feelings aren't the enemy. But the most important thing is to make sure that we aren't allowing our feelings to dictate our behaviors. You know, we talk a lot about mental health, and I always say they want to sweep emotional up. I focus on emotional well-being. I focus on emotional wellness. And they always want to sweep emotional wellness up under mental health, and that's something totally different. You know, you know, your thoughts are one thing, and I feel like your thoughts determine your feelings, but your feelings are what dictates your behaviors. And we got to make sure that not, we're not allowing our feelings to dictate behaviors or make permanent decisions based off of temporary feelings. We, you know, our feelings, we're supposed to be in motion. We're supposed to be in emotion moving through our feelings. You know, we're not supposed to sit and stay stuck in them. So it's important to be able to work through and move through the feelings instead of staying stuck and allowing the feelings to sit on you and settle on you and impacting your behavior. Yeah, So true. One of the really interesting things that came out of my congregation during lockdown was that those who had more pronounced mental health issues prior to lockdown actually fared really well because yes. although there was a reduction in services which, and I'm like I'm so not wanting to undermine that for so many people that was catastrophic I know I'm married to an epidemiologist so COVID's like quite high in household <laughs> um, but there were a huge number of people who actually found it remarkably reassuring to see that your sort of your normal, again, inverted commas, uh, person was struggling and actually suddenly they didn't feel so alone. And there's something so profound in saying, actually, it is, it's really, really very okay to not be okay. And again, it's another cliche, but it needs to be for a reason because your average person on the street suddenly was not okay. We were all really rocked by this sudden disconnection from community. We're not built 
to be an island. We're built to be in relationship. We're built to be with people um, and to have meaningful connections to people rather than 10,000 not meaningful connections to people on our phones. And so to actually to find that the majority of us in some way weren't okay was such a huge source of comfort to the people who spend most of their lives dealing with those issues every single day, that for some of those people actually, there was there was quite a liberating sense when lockdown happened that they weren't on their own. And it's tragic that it's taken this, to bring that conversation to the fore, but good things will come out of this, as evil and as horrendous as the pandemic is, good things will come out of it. And that's one of those good things, I think. Yeah, I was I was grateful. Take this take this word, <coughs> sorry, take this word uh, lightly, but I was grateful when mm-hmm. COVID hit, right? So I'm going to explain that a bit more. You talk about people with mental health who are suffering mental health prior to COVID hitting, and then COVID hits, and then you have a wave of normal people, okay, in yep. commas, who then start to suffer with mental health conditions. But I as a mental health sufferer, was taking all the steps prior to it. So it just run smoothly. Yeah, for, yeah. You know, and again, a lot of people, it did that for a lot of people who were suffering from mental health. And you had a wave of people who just didn't have a clue on what was going on. Mm-hmm. But then on the other side, you had people who flourished. For, for example, I'm going to bring John into this, John. So you. it's about being, again, it's about being active, you know, during this COVID period, a lot of people said, oh, I, I can't do anything now. I, you know, this is this is in the worst state of my life. You know, the world is going to erupt and it's going to melt, whatever. But some people flourished in that and they found a new skill or a, a new passion. And just quickly, John, you know, we want to talk about, you know, during COVID, we talked about this in our, set, in our first podcast. We said about how some people during the COVID were bored or they were just lost their way. But other people found a new lease of life. Yeah, and... You know, I I feel like I'm quite creative and um, a lot of time work, the working hours kind of squashes that. So when COVID hit and I had all this free time to myself, I was loving it. I thought I got, got so much free time to do whatever I want to do. So I started running every morning. Mm. Uh, I started to draw, started to make music. And it's just all the things that I really wanted to do, but wasn't able to do because I was working. And... Uh, people who say to me, like, oh, I'm bored during COVID, and I just think, come on, you've you got, okay, I haven't got kids, so I know that's a struggle, you've got to look after the kid all day, so I'm, I'm, I'm really lucky, but I just think you've been, it's, you can look at it two ways, it's a negative, or you can look at it positive, mm-hmm. and I looked at it positive, and, you know, people who were still off work, and I was like, oh, I wish I could still be off work. <laughs> I, st- I still want to draw. I still want to run. I still want to make music. I still want to explore all, all these avenues. And um, yeah, I, I just, I'm just a snackle for it. And even though I'm back in work, I'm still doing the things I was, I was doing when I was locked, locked down. So it's, it's a good thing for me. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Again, uh, it's, it was a massive hit, and it's still, it's still a, a huge thing. I'm just reading here again about the mental health and during COVID, you know, it says that 2% of a health budget is spent on mental health. 2% of the entire health budget. And we talk about the, the effect that it has, you know, suicide or what it leads to substance abuse. Or, and again, I'm bringing this to you, Jenny, because you suffered with substance abuse and Trish, your brother, unfortunately, you know, you lost him due yeah. to alcohol. 
And how, you know, so again, how has that affected you and how, what have you thought now moving forward, you know, to, how to do this, you know, how, what's been the outcome for that? Uh, well, for me, it was watching, um, watching his journey. I mean, we, we grew up essentially the same way, but watching my younger brother go through this process and it started when he was in high school and then when he didn't make the baseball team, it started with a series of rejection. Which, and, I, and I honestly think it's some sort of pain or harsh, something that we're faced with when we're not sure how to cope. And we might not know that we're not coping with it. So he came up with something else. Unfortunately, my dad offering his advice um, out there in quotes as well, um, offered him uh, pills and opioids and different things. And so that was became, oh, you've had a hard day. And they equated that with let's numb it. And I think so often we numb it or run away from it in whatever way that we can. And that's like what I noticed him doing. And when something would happen, maybe his truck would break down or, the, or you know, he'd lose a job or something would happen, he'd go back down that road. And he looked for a place to belong. And in with us, and he would come to visit us, we were like, how are you doing? And we try to encourage him. But I think he felt alone because he knew what he was doing was not ideal. He did not know how to get out of it, regardless of it, because he was so attached. And so watching that journey, I think um, it became aware to me and, and probably why I got really passionate even more so than I was before about what are the tools that he could have used in that moment and, and to empower him to think he is feeling better because we sent him to a rehab and they were like, shave or you can't stay. And he was like, well, forget that. And I'm thinking you are, this child was on drugs and we got you here and he is here and you're going to make him, that's, that is going to be our make or break. And I struggled a little bit with that, but I got to a point where I was like, what could we have done? Because if he would be equipped with the tools to how did he cope with pain, becoming aware with disappointment and okay with disappointment and saying, okay, how do I work past it? And, and, and in that way, I think he would have felt more empowered because I think I saw him looking for answers and that was the first one that came to him and unfortunately sometimes once you get down that road it only takes once and you need it again and again and again and, and I think um like now that's why I'm, I'm so passionate like what are the tools how do we become self-aware number one and what does self-care look like to you what does that mean for you do you need to go for a run or what are the things like with COVID I know like the tendency, you know, for me when I get overwhelmed or there's too many things to do, I know what I need to do to reset myself when I see myself going down a road. But I think nobody knows that anymore about themselves because we're not being honest. We want to pretend we're okay for social media. We want to pretend we're okay for our friends. And then inside I'm screaming, there's disappointment, there's frustration, there's hurt, there's loss. And I saw my brother struggle with that. And, and despite trying to speak life, it wasn't the right person. And I think we just, I think there's a, a whole process now where that's where we are. And I think if we feel pain and we don't know how to deal with it, we look for ways to hide it, distort it, delete it, get rid of it. Mm -hmm. What do we need to do? We run from it. If it's in our marriage, it's like, you know, I don't need you anymore. Let's go. We don't want to work through it and look through something harder. And the same with my brother despite his wanting to get out in the different ways he there was just at that point what did he have and I was like run do this well once you're in it you're in it when you're, the forces outside of you are louder than these and I think what you're doing here is bringing awareness to it and I think each of us stepping up in our own respect and paying attention I think we don't pay attention we're so glued to our phones and our screens that we're not looking around and I think being aware of it and starting to talk about it would allow us to say, hey, I feel like you need to have a cup of coffee. Come here. And I think it's going to require people that are feeling better or have overcome it to start identifying it and starting. I mean, 
yeah. for lack of a it's, better it, word, a movement, you know, because yeah. it needs to be brought to attention. It's the, it's, the, it's the whole duck metaphor. You know, on surface, they're still underneath the water, their legs are going like crazy, mm -hmm. you know? And that's where a lot of people are. They're still on top, but below, they're just frantic. You know, and so you know, talk about one, Derek. One, what do you say? Oh, I was about to say this to piggyback off what she said. I mean, she's on some very crucial points, and and a lot of it is, you know, it's those coping skills or lack thereof. And you know, one thing I do in my program with my clients, man, is I have them identify their joy. What makes you happy? And a lot of times, a lot of people they don't know what makes them happy. They don't know what brings them joy. That is the toughest thing. And I right. start with 20 things. Give me 20 things that bring you joy. Because mm -hmm. when we have this list, and, and what we do off this list is we create a safety plan. We create things that they can do when they are triggered, when they're stressed, when we, we create positive coping skills. Everybody knows, you know, if you want to get rid of a bad habit, you have to replace it with a good habit. So what we do is... And, and I bet they can name like 30 bad things like in it. Yes, but yeah. they get, to, they get yeah. to about five or six and then they start getting stuck. And that's the thing. We don't know what we really like. We don't take the time to figure out what really brings us joy so that when we do hit hard times or we do talk about doing self-care, what does that look like? People get stuck because they don't know. They don't know like that That if I do this, if I if I really go out and I do what I enjoy, it brings me self-care. It brings me, you know, back to a better place. It helps to recenter, ground me, and refocus me. So... That's a critical thing. People don't know what they like to do. They don't. They can't identify what brings them joy. Okay, on that point. On that point, um, Jenny, give me three things that bring you joy. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I will. But while I buy time, while I think about that, I just want to. Says <laughs> <laughs> is it? It deletes the joy as well as the pain. The problem with hiding in any form of substance, and that actually can be exercise as well. It's not just drink and drugs. That there are so many healthy things that we can do that become addictive uh, but it numbs joy and it kills the relationships as well it disconnects you from people and ultimately that's our reason that's our reason for living isn't it so that's it becomes your friend and you you start to listen to the stuff rather than the people who actually care about you because you kid yourself that the, the drink and the drugs and whatever else you're doing are, are your best friend because they're keeping you safe and it's such a lie and it numbs everything the pain and the joy and so to focus again on those things that are life-giving is so incredibly important mm -hmm. um okay so what brings me joy um relationship with god is my absolute number one and and that and everything that comes off that is prayer time with him meditating on him uh, there is joy that passes all understanding i have had times with jesus that have taken me out of the circumstances i'm living in uh, Sorry. and they call it a piece that passes all understanding because it doesn't make sense it doesn't make any sense but that presence of god with me is, is joy peace, and, um, and then the rest is the rest is easy it's the pe it's the people in my life that i love my husband and my family my kids and my immediate family that's like basically anything that brings me joy i can actually if i peel away what's really going on in that circumstance like i don't know christmas day lunch or something it's the people that i'm with it, it, it's, you know, watching Netflix with my husband and a glass of wine. It's actually because I'm with him. And it's that one time this week we've actually seen each other. It, it's about it's those key relationships that root you, that keep you sane, that will speak truth to you when you don't want to hear it, uh, that will love you when you're you're an absolute mess. Mm -hmm. That that's what makes it worth it. Yeah. Do it with Diana. What about you? Yeah, I love the, the part with relationships. I think that's the, the most joyful thing that 
you know, for me, yeah, spending time with people, that, you know, that's the ultimate joy. Uh, I absolutely love to dance. <laughs> I, I, da I dance all the time, like no one's watching. It's like instantly, like when I feel, okay, what is it? Like I go and dance. And, you know, you, Derek, mm. you were talking about how actually motion creates emotion. Yeah. If you are in the funk, just move, don't be stuck. You know, that's literally um, how I always, yeah, yeah. And then I would say, Hurting would be coaching. I think I lo I love coaching. Yeah. I love to coach people. Um, that's it. I always when when I'm in the coaching session and I always ask myself, what is my intention? How do I want to feel after this session? It's important that I know. Um, going back to that in intentionality, and every time I set up, you know, I'm gonna have fun, and if I don't have fun, then w w what's the point? I think, like you know, having fun while I'm coaching and having responsibility to people, to towards people that I'm co that I'm coaching, um, yeah, that that brings me joy. Cool. <laughs> what about you? Uh, what about you, Derek? What brings you joy, man? Man, what brings me joy is like the connection. I love adding value to people. Um, that's 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 very important. That's that's like what I'm designed to do. That's my 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 purpose in life. Um, man, you I, stole my line, man. You stole my nah, line. Nah. <laughs> um, second is I love to talk. I love to having nice conversations, deep diving. I love talking with my fiance. Um, I just love to talk with her and just you know. And the next is riding my motorcycle. I love riding a motorcycle on a nice sunny day. My music blasting. I love it because those are the three things that I, I refer to that I go back to, you know, just part of my self-care routine, part of my, my safety plan. But those are the top three things that bring me joy. Yeah. Oh, and Trish? Well, mine, mine are really meaningful, too. Um, no, <laughs> no, I love um, sunsets on my porch. We actually built our porch uh, on our farm. I yeah, told you we have cool. 70 acres that it's just a big pasture. And anytime I need to reset, I sit in the rocking chair. It is my breath. Yeah. The sky is big. The air is big. It's just, it's a, it's our, I love to also, that's where we gather. So it's like my, it's my place. And so, um, relationships, that's another one, which not just with God, but my family and my friends, when I get to show up well for them, whether that's throwing a baby shower, or hanging out or just having coffee, and maybe it's the hospitality piece. I love to be able to do that for people. And so when I am showing up well, like that is my favorite and, when I default, I'm like, let's do pop. Let me cook you a meal because sometimes serving others gets me out of my own head. And then I'm going to be on it. My last one is <laughs> biscuits and gravy. It is a southern tip. <laughs> it is when I am like, it is last year when we built the house and I was doing it by myself and my husband was gone. There was a place, a local one in town. I was like, that's what I'm having for breakfast because it, <laughs> it made me feel better because I was like, I'm throwing the diet. Who cares? I knew that it was going to. Food. But honestly, it's food. just a good meal. Sometimes it's just something yummy to eat because usually I'm sharing it with somebody, but it's like, I mean, I can't help it. It's my favorite. What about you, John? Well, I don't think mine is going to be as uh, deep and as meaningful as everybody else is. Getting gravy is not meaningful. It is, it is to you, though. It is to you. Um, to be honest, I really like getting up early when I don't have to work, um, like 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. There's something about that time of day. I can't describe how I feel about it. It's just quite overwhelming. And I just I like going for a run on the beach that time in the morning. Um, something else is 
uh, well, recently iced coffee. I can't get enough of it. And I, <laughs> I really look forward to iced coffee. Yeah. <laughs> like I had, I had one today. I was like, oh, here we go, iced coffee. <laughs> um, and probably the last thing is time to myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, obviously, everybody loves their family and everything. But um, when I think, oh, I can just have some time to just chill out, to reflect on everything and just get all get all my thoughts together, listen to some music, have a nice coffee. Uh, yeah, so that that's what brings me joy. But it's a really good question because I had to think about it and I shouldn't have to think about it. I got loads I can list off. So, um, but those are my top three, I think so. And I think, and I think that's great because, you know, John, you said, you know, it might not be as meaningful, but everybody is different. Yeah. I like, yeah. I like, I like you say, Derek, it's about finding what makes you happy, what brings you joy. And not having expectations of what other th other people yes, might yes. think, that, you know, might oh I'm going to be happy. Well, this is going to bring me joy because it brings them joy. It doesn't mm. matter about them; it matters about you. And that can mean anything from iced coffee to dancing to biscuits and gravy to God. <laughs> you know what I mean? It can be a variety of things, you know. But I'm going to slowly wrap this up. But the, I'm going to bring it back around a little bit now. So I'm going to get a, ask you all a question. Your three things. Oh, my three things. Uh, <laughs> I'll slip out of it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I, bet, I bet I can guess. I bet I can guess. Go on, John. You go. Um, well, you're going to say family, obviously. Yeah, first and foremost. Family yeah, no doubt. Um, and I'm going to say uh, your 20 kilo vest, which you run in, because I know you love to run in that heavy vest. I don't love it. I don't love it. But yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. Yeah, and yeah. basketball. Basketball is the third one, right? And basketball. Yeah. yeah I, could, I was going to guess basketball, too, because of the conversation we had. Yeah, yeah, of course. Basketball. Yeah, it's always 24-7 on a brain. Um, but the question you know, I want to ask now is we do, you know, I brought you on here today to share experiences share our solutions to our mental health problems, bring awareness to it. But because we are doing this platform, many people think, or they might think, that we have our shit together. But by all means, I hold my hand up and say, no, not at all. You talk about coping strategies. Two that I had developed, which are not healthy for me at all, is one, I developed a tick. So I'd shake my head, and that was a little indication to get whatever was in my head out of my head, just to get it out. And my wife noticed it and she's like are you okay and i'm like yeah what's the matter she's doing the tick thing again and i was like okay i am i was so subconsciously i was doing this tick and the other thing i was doing was, was hitting myself in the face so self-harm so i was punching myself to to to, to bring pain i felt that i needed the pain i need i deserved the pain mm -hmm. so i'm going to ask you all and you know what is the one thing that you still struggle with on a day-to-day -day that you need that little bit of help with who wants to go first? I'll go first. Um, go. You know, for me, as much as I help others crush past self-learning beliefs and behaviors and, and get past, you know, from, you know, get from where they are to where they want to be and deal with unresolved issues, um, for every now and then, I, I still find myself, you know, being crushed under my own self-learning beliefs. Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, I can't, one, I can't believe I have a business. Mm -hmm. And I start focusing on everything that I still need to do instead of looking at everything that I have done so far. Yeah. So I struggle with being present. I struggle with acknowledging and feeling good about what I am accomplishing instead of thinking about, okay, I still need to do this. I still need to do that. Like today, I just happened to look on Spotify 
and I came across my podcast. And mm-hmm. I'm sitting there like, wow, like Derek, you, you you started your podcast. Like you have a podcast going that's on all podcast platforms. You have paying clients in your coaching business that you just started at the that you just started at the end of April and, and you launched it in May. Mm. So it's like I don't give myself enough credit for how far I came. Mm-hmm. I still think I got to do more. I still get caught up on like, you know, what it's the same for, you know, this might not work or, you know, getting caught up on everything I had to do or what's going right, what's not going right. Instead of focusing on everything that I'm accomplishing, how I'm adding value to others, how, helping other people achieve their breakthroughs. And, 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 and I'm, and I'm getting lost in, you still got so much more to do. Still got yeah. so much more to do. What about you, Deanna? This is so good, Derek. Thank you for sharing. So I think, um, so this last weekend was a Tony weekend. I was at his summit. So you know how we feel when we are around the cool. Tony. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and then you have like this, the event is over. You spend three days with most incredible people in the world. And then you are just, oh, I hit this hangover where I am right now. You know, I'm nowhere there where I should be. Um, and I got this week week into this funk that, you know, w- what's going on? You know, wh- where I'm, like you say, Derek, and one of my coaches said, you know, just reflect back. What, what have you accomplished, like, this year only, you know? And funny enough, like, this event was one of the biggest events that Tony and Dean created, and I was one of the team members. I was supporting the event, and I was like, just what, one event? And I was the part of the, the whole team. Fantastic. And, Fantastic. and it was like, you know, you just don't acknowledge yourself. And I think it's just so, um, I think this is the, 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 the biggest for me. And Trish, you were mentioning when I said, you know, perfection and then comparison. These are the two things that I suffered the most with. <laughs> and funny enough, today I posted on my social media that that's why I cut my hair off to let go of these bullshit, like <laughs> perfectionism. And I, I swear to God, like perfectionism and comparison, these are the two things that I always struggle with. Um, no matter where I am in my journey, this is the devil that I always need to battle with. Yeah. And um, just going back to, you know, you're okay. This is your journey. You do you. Yeah. You do your I am. I do my best, and I don't know which of the um, uh, four agreements are from uh, what's what's his name, uh, Don Miguel Ruiz, right? The four uh, four agreements. He talks about being the best, but being the best for you, mm-hmm. not being the best when compa- comparing yourself with someone else. And I think that this is just you know, I just need to be always aware that I did best. Yeah, you did your best. Yeah. So, 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 that, yeah. so that's my, my yeah. takeaway. Thank you, Dan. And also thank you, Derek, as well. Well, you, Trish? You know, it's similar to Derek's, um, but it's a limiting belief that's a little bit different. And I actually have post-it notes right now all over my mirror because despite all I'm doing, I struggle with thinking whether or not I'm worthy of receiving that success that I'm doing and going. It's the worthiness issue. And because I I kind of envision this life and was like, I'm going to go do this. And it's very different from anybody in my family. And I'm kind of just like pulling it out of thin air. It feels like, and I'm like, I'm going to empower people and I'm going to motivate them. And then sometimes I get here and I'm like, 
who am I to be doing that? Really, truthfully. And I have to remind myself that the enthusiasm, the joy, this message, I need it. And I literally have, um, you know, uh, sticky notes all over my mirror so that I remind myself that this is something that I am worthy. I'm just as worthy of anybody else. And I have, it is a daily reminder because when I get in that path, it's easy to say, ah, oh, you don't really deserve it. So you should probably just not worry. Just, just keep doing what you're doing. You're fine. And I think, no, that's exactly when I should be doing it more. And so, um, I actually listened to a coach that <laughs> said, um, puke and rally. And there's that phrase, which goes in, in a different tone. She said, you know, sometimes we get really nervous to do something and we know we should be doing it, but we get really nervous. She's like, this is one of those, instead of like, go do what you need to do, but then rally. She was like, so it's kind of, she presented it in a different way and I loved it. And I was like, I literally put it on my computer. Cause I was like, yes, I might feel uncomfortable and unworthy and like, Oh, well, who the heck are you? But you can rally like whatever feel uncomfortable but do it anyway because we'll never break past this barrier that I was raised around if I don't first do that and so sometimes going first is hard and I, I that's what I write I wrote like leaders go first and you deserve it you deserve it like everywhere you know so I remind myself that we all are worthy of whatever success whatever that fulfillment looks like to us it's different for everybody but we're worthy of it all you know, we just have to believe that so that we actually yeah. take action. <laughs> Good. Yeah, no, you talk about believe. And I got this from a, there's a TV show called Ted Lasso. I don't know if you've seen it. It's on Apple TV. Mm -hmm. um, he's a football coach. But anyway, he put this big sign, just said believe. Mm -hmm. And he touched it. So my wife struggles and I struggle. So at the, as I come down my stairs on the wall, I got my kids a bit of big A3 bit of paper yesterday. And I just wrote the word believe. And every time I go down the stairs, I just hit it. And I come up and I, yeah. go up and I just hit it. And it's just a reminder to believe in yourself, to believe in others, to believe in, you know, whatever you want to believe in, but just to believe that you are good enough, you can do it, you know, whatever it may be. So that for me is a big reminder. And again, I got another one on my wall says, I want life on my own terms. You know, I want, I want, to, I want to live my life with my own rules. I don't want any, anybody dictating. But I have what's called this imposter syndrome. You know, you've all yeah. heard of it, you know, mm -hmm. where again, you know, I think, I've done all this training and I've done all this and I've done all that. And I think, well, am I the right person for the job? Like, am I the right person to do this? Even doing the podcast, you know, to, to manage yeah. this and to organize it and to give this. I'm thinking, who the hell am I to do all this? You know, no, no one's <laughs> going to listen to this podcast, but you do it anyway because you just got to have a leap of faith. You just got to put it out there, you know? Mm. What, what about you, Jenny? Yeah, I was just about to say imposter syndrome is definitely something I struggle with as well. Um, my Achilles heel that I've really got to keep an eye on is that I don't just replace one set of substance abuse and negative behaviours mm. for socially acceptable version. Mm. So my socially acceptable version, if I'm not careful, is, in, is my addiction to my job. I love my job. I love my job. I work really, really hard. And it's nice and kind of socially acceptable because it's helping people, right? And it's doing great stuff. And, and that's really lovely. But actually, the danger with that is that I start to seriously lose connection from the things that have brought me joy in the first place, that have brought me here in the first place. So and, and the huge irony, being a vicar or a priest or whatever you want to call it, is that actually I lose connection with God because I'm so busy. I've managed to squeeze him out of my day. And then yeah. 
step from that is I lose connection with my family and I haven't seen my husband all week because I've been working crazy hours. And and actually, there's a real danger that one substance just gets swapped for another and particularly nice, smart. And, you know, that substance might wear a suit and go into a bank in the morning or might wear a dog collar or might, you know, whatever. It's actually just another for me, it's another form of numbing and hiding if I'm not careful. So actually keeping that rawness, keeping that vulnerability, making myself self stop and have the accountability of people who love me enough to sit me down and say, you have got to stop. You have got to listen to your body. You have got to listen to the people who love you Um, and having the kind of the strength and the humility to say, I know you're right. I hate it because it's actually just easier when you keep on going. Um, And in the Bible, they talk about the narrow path being the better one. And it is, it's harder. Sometimes actually the harder path is the better one because it's, it leads to the fullness of life. And the wide open road is easy, like the drugs and the alcohol and whatever your thing is, but it doesn't lead anywhere. It just leads to disconnection and, and, and pain, but actually making those tough choices sometimes is the most edifying thing you can do, making the time to sit and stop and evaluate and reconnect with the things that matter and the things that bring you joy. Um, And particularly when your Achilles heel is nice and socially acceptable. That's 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 a that's a a really good point. That's a really strong point, Jenny. I'm glad you brought that up. You know, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I think you mentioned that something along the lines of um, staying with it. I think you mentioned uh, for me, another area that I do stuff with is anxiety. Yeah. still I'm um, stuff with anxiety due to you know post depression or what happened to me when I was a kid or whatever and one of the things I have to do now is check myself and do mindfulness on the spot mm-hmm. so because I've done so much mindfulness and I know the technique and the 10 minute slot the other day I was suffering and I was in mid walk across my landing I just stopped you got to landing. I, yeah you have to I close my eyes for 10 minutes I stood and I just went through the steps and yeah. you know my wife's like what are you doing I said I'm, I'm I need my 10 you know, I just need it, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, the, and it's that continuation. If you think, oh, I'm fine, you know, you do it for a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to be all right now. No, you have to keep doing this is a journey you have to maintain. It's like, you know, John will, my brother will say this guy going to the gym. It's an everyday process. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to be, if you want to run faster, if you want to get stronger, you don't go to the gym for once and then expect to be, you know, everything you want to be. If you want to battle your mental health, if you want to conquer, find solutions for your mental health, it's an everyday thing. You, mm-hmm. you can't expect it to last a month and then be fine. I've done the steps. I've taken the course. I've been mm-hmm. to rehab, whatever it may be. I'm going to be OK. It doesn't work like that, unfortunately. You've mm-hmm. got to keep going. Yeah. And the community, I think that's one thing you guys have all hit on. You've, you don't need to always do it alone because no. once you, 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 I think reaching out and being vulnerable, realizing that you're not alone and then coming up with those steps and then having somebody that can check in and say, Hey, you did, you need, like you just said, I need my 10. Your wife knows what that means. Mm-hmm. I think being very apparent, um, to like my sister, anxiety is something that she struggles with and she will be like, ah. I can't right now. I know what that means. I know what, you know, there's like, and so we understand how that we can support one another because if we start doing it alone, that's where the danger starts, I think. And so I think this community is, it's, it's essential. Yeah, most definitely. Is it big part about that? Not, I'm sorry. The big part about that, no. what you just said is when your sister says, you know, she can't right now, you understand what that means. Yeah. A lot of times, People think that we, you know, that, you know, when you, when you express on that, it needs to be automatically fixed. Mm-hmm. Like we can show up for people without having to fix it. Or I, if I express, I don't need you to fix it. Just, you can show up and make space. Yeah. 
for what I'm going through. Like your wife, like you said, I need my 10. She made space for that. And I think that's very important that, yes, we're dealing with something. That don't mean I automatically need you to be my savior or to jump in and fix it. You know, sometimes, I mean, I'm able to process through these things, but just make space for what I'm dealing with at that time. And I think that's critical. And I think that's part, you know, that's something that has to be effectively communicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, make the space. It's a good point. Mm-hmm. I like that saying. Just make the space. Find it within your day to make the space and look after yourself. Because you know, mm-hmm. if you can't be a hundred percent, you can't then give a hundred percent. That's like mm-hmm. putting on your oxygen mask first. Did we say that, or was that from? Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I love that. Put your mask on first, and then help other other people. Yeah, yeah. I think Trisha also mentioned like uh, really uh, paying paying attention to to other people, and you know I think it's also important that we have this um, genuine intention, mm-hmm. not just asking how are you, but really meaning like I really care how you're doing, like showing that you really care. I think like mm-hmm. that fake uh, yeah I, I I do care. <laughs> it needs to stop. It needs to come from your heart and it needs to come with, you know, I, I really want to know whether you want help, whether you want to receive help, I'm here for you. Just open that space and, you know, hold the space for people to, to come back and to feel that they are loved. Yeah, and there is. And, there, there, and for the people who are listening out there, there are loads of organizations, there are loads of uh, centers, help, telephone lines, coaches, you know, a lot of people out there who are willing to help you and to listen to you all you have to do is start that conversation. However you want to do it, just start that conversation. Use social yeah. media for that. Exactly. Yeah. Use yeah. Yeah. You, the world is very tiny right now. There's yeah. all you, It's one click of a button. You can yeah. find somebody that's going through exactly what you're going through. Most definitely. Now, before I wrap this up, is there anything else anybody would like to talk about? Uh, or have I missed anything or any point that you would like to bring up? I just no. want to say thank you, Ryan. I think what you're doing is so important. It is so mm. important. And and the more of it, the better. Keep going, friend. Oh, thank you ever so much. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, thank you for, to all of you for being on here. You know, it's uh, this movement, you know, as again, just to reiterate this whole thing, the 10th of October, World Mental Health Day, a massive awareness. People need to talk. People need to discuss mm. because it can save lives. It can literally save your life if yeah. you start to talk. Something you've been doing you know, for as long as you've been alive, really, you know, so just please get your message out there. Guys, where can they find you? You know, if they want to know more, if they want to connect with you, let's go Jenny first. Where can people find you? Uh, St. uk. All right. Nice and short and sweet. Uh, Trish? Um, um, like I said, I had out of the fire, the podcast on all the major platforms or any social media. My name, Trisha Fraley, F-R-A-L-E-Y. And it'll, there's a million ways to find me. So. <laughs> okay. And Deanna? Yeah, if you want to see me dancing on Reels on Instagram, <laughs> just hit me on Insta. But yeah, I have a podcast as well, so fearless and successful show, so you, so you can tune in and listen to uh, to yeah, just cool. stories and and cool stuff. And uh, Derek, you can catch me at Derek Butler on LinkedIn, um, DB Empowers on Facebook or Instagram. You can always look at my podcast, Made Men Podcast. I'm on all podcasting for uh, platforms and then you can reach me by email at Derek Butler empowers at gmail.com and John where can they see these beautiful stunning photos of your 530 runs man get inspired for the run oh you can catch me at Starbucks getting a nice coffee at 530 in the morning <laughs> Johnny underscore maroon for all the beautiful Swansea early morning shots
There we go. <laughs> Guys, uh, and to the people listening, thank you ever so much for listening. And I'm going to sign off the way I usually do. If you have a message or a story you want to tell of positivity, then please get in contact with me. You can get at me at Gmail, so positive self storyteller at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, IG, Twitter, all the social uh, networks that we hate and love. You can find me there. That's fantastic. Thank you to all my guests today for being part of this roundtable session. You know, you, you've made this happen. And I'm so excited. I was so, this has been a fantastic uh, chat, guys. And we've really opened up. And again, I think we've been raw, authentic. And hopefully this message can resonate with just one person. Then I think we've done our jobs. So thanks again to all of you guys. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, guys. And, and remember, guys, to you get listening, if you want a new chapter in your story, all you got to do is turn the page. See you, guys. Thanks. Bye.